Hi, I'm Michael Morris. Thank you for joining us as we journey through the Christian Fundamentals Discipleship course. Living for Christ is a choice that we have the privilege of making every day. The Bible is brimming with life-giving truths and rich promises from God. It tells us what He is like and sheds light on His plans and purposes for our lives. The better we understand, embrace and apply these truths, the richer our personal relationship with Him will be. I don't want to spend a whole bunch of time doing recapping, but it's good for us to just <clears throat> come up to speed again with some of the lessons and things we've gone through so that we, we catch the flow of where we're going. The first thing we did was we examined discipleship. What is discipleship? To follow Jesus. Simply defined. Now that comes at a cost because if I follow Jesus, I can't follow anybody else and I can't do things my way. So there's a measure of sacrifice that, that goes with that. But at the same time, as I follow Jesus, I gain all of who He is. All of His life, all of His forgiveness, all of His grace, all of His mercy becomes mine. And so when you really start comparing things, not much of a trade-off. We spoke then about worship. What is, it, what is worship really all about? Worship is, is an expression of God, a response to Him for, for who He is, for what He's done. But ultimately, worship is... Being who God created you to be and expressing and doing that which God has created you to do. That's the highest expression of worship. We add to that gratitude. We add to that praise. We add to that songs and all kinds of different ways of expressing it. But worship really is about simply being who God made me to be. After worship, we looked at righteousness. Righteousness, a foundational doctrine and understanding that, hey, I'm not the sinner saved by grace. I was a sinner. Now that I'm saved by grace, I'm the very righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I don't live my day consciously aware of, oh, how am I going to sin today? I live my, myself, my, my day from a point of view of the righteousness of God is living in me. My recreated nature is going to lead and guide me. And unless God convicts me, I'm, I'm not going to be walking in sin. I'm going to be aiming my life at Him. So the acts that I therefore do do not come from a place of sin that I constantly need to be repenting before God and begging Him for mercy. God sees me as righteous. He delights in my presence. We then looked at prayer. And the reason we put prayer after righteousness is because prayer is really talking to God. Amen? It's having conversation with God. Not just telling Him what we need and not just telling Him what we're thankful for, but it's also listening to Him and letting Him talk into our hearts. And the reason we discussed righteousness before we discuss prayer is because if I don't see myself as righteous, the attitude with which I approach God and pray is all skewed. I come to God feeling guilty and begging Him to forgive me of things that He doesn't even have remembrance of because He's already forgiven them. I come trying to earn favor with God through my prayer and through my requests, whereas already I have full favor with God. So it's, the idea of prayer then is we come like a child comes to a father and just enjoys the presence of dad. He is still dad. I mean, he still can grab me with his pinky and pick me up. I mean, he's still powerful. He's still, but he's my dad. And in that presence, there's comfort, there's love, and there's acceptance. And in a healthy family where the love of God is present, there's unconditional love. That even though I may have messed up, dad's still going to love me. Dad may correct me, but dad's still going to love me. And dad's going to teach me his ways. And we spoke about prayer last week. So today we're going to look at this thing called sanctification. 
And as I've sent you out the message today, I said sanctification is something that always fills me with hope. In other words, what is hope? Hope is an earnest expectation for good. That's what hope really is, if you want to define hope. It's an earnest expectation for good. Not just an expectation, but an earnest I really expect good things to happen. So sanctification is, is something that fills me with hope and also expectation for better things in my own life and that I will experience more of who God is. The reason we need to go through a process of sanctification is so that we can come into greater dimensions of the fullness of Jesus Christ. Sanctification is not just about what you can rid yourself of. It's letting go of something that's holding you back so that you can grab hold of that for which God has prepared you. Do you understand that? Sanctification is about letting go of that which is holding you back and crippling your spiritual growth and your personal growth so that you can lay hold of that which Christ has intended for you. So the better we understand the role of sanctification in our lives, the better we are equipped to serve God and to bring Him glory. So let's define sanctification. It can be defined in two ways. First of all, as a once-off occurrence. To define sanctification, the word sanctification means set apart for sacred use. Set apart for sacred use. And it can be both a once-off occurrence. So, the day that you get saved, the day that you give your heart to Jesus, you in your spirit man are now set apart, sanctified, for sa you now belong to God. And in other ways, it's a continuous work. It's the state of growing in divine grace as a result of Christian commitment after baptism or conversion. I like that word growing. Sanctification is something we grow in. We grow in Christ-likeness. We grow in obedience. Many of you may not even realize that this scripture exists in the Bible. But there's a verse, I think it's in Hebrews, where it says that Jesus learned obedience through the things that he suffered. What, an, what a strange verse. That Jesus, who committed no sin, had to learn obedience. That's incredible. That means he had to grow. It also says this, that he grew in favor with God and with man. Jesus, the Son of God, had to grow in favor with God and with man. How do we reconcile these kinds of things to understand that Jesus is fully God and fully man, yet he has to grow in favor with God? As Jesus grew, as he matured, his life took on greater and greater and greater likeness of his heavenly Father. My child, the day she was born, she came out of that womb or out of that hospital and I held her in my hands and she was perfect. She was a perfect, whole human being. Ten fingers, ten toes, respiratory system working just fine, all the bones where they should be, two sets of teeth. I've only got one left. And, and she, she's perfectly whole and perfectly human. But what she is not is perfectly mature. So although she is perfect in who she is physically, she still has to grow into maturity. Jesus had to grow into maturity. You and I have to grow into maturity in Christ. And that's part of the journey of sanctification. It's helpful to understand the Greek terminology concerning sanctification. The Greek word sanctification is hayesmos, and it means holiness. Now that's very interesting, 
Because holiness brings us right back to the subject we looked at last time, or a couple of weeks ago, which is righteousness. To be righteous means to be holy. What does it mean to be holy? Set apart. Set apart from and to. And we're going to get to that. A saint is a holy person, deriving its meaning from the Greek word chaios, which is translated sanctified one, set apart one. Now, it's very interesting that although some religious sects grant sainthood to certain people who've achieved certain miraculous feats in their lives or certain level of, of recognition, the Bible says everyone who believes in Jesus Christ is a saint. What does that mean? A set-apart one, a sanctified one. Now, we need to understand that in two ways, as I said in the beginning. The first part is to be sanctified in an instant. Remember when we spoke about, right, about righteousness, there was a word that we used called justification, right? And justification means that you are declared just or right before God. And you have the picture of the court of law where somebody says, I hereby declare, that, declare you righteous despite all the evidence against you and despite every accusation, we don't, this is the declaration I make. And it's legal and it's binding and nothing else can stand against it. Right? That is the instant we get born again. Our spirit man is renewed. The Bible says we are a new creation. Old things have passed away. What does it mean to pass away? They're dead. Now that's going to be a key theme in tonight's lesson. The death of the old way. And then he says, behold, all things have become new. Now, if I, want to, if I say to you, I want you to behold something, what does that mean? It's not a trick question. It means you can look at it. It means you can see it. It means there's evidence that can be monitored or observed. Old things have passed away. Behold. In other words, you can begin to see Change begins to happen. You can see it with your own eyes. You can observe it because something new is happening. The generic meaning of the word is the state of proper functioning. In other words, the word sanctify. To sanctify someone or something is to set them apart for the designer's intended use or purpose. Hang on a second. Doesn't this call us back to worship? So you're beginning to see how all these themes kind of interlock and tie into one another. Don't, doesn't this come back to the chief end of man? What is the chief end of man? To know God and enjoy Him forever. Amen? A pen is sanctified when it is used to write with. Why? Because that was its intended purpose. This device has been set apart from all other devices. I have a pencil in my toolbox. All I use that pencil for is to mark where I'm going to drill the hole. I don't use the pencil to drill the hole. I don't use the pencil to hammer in the nail. I don't use the pencil as a nail. I use the pencil. It is sanctified for one thing alone, set apart to be used for writing on the wall or whatever it is that I'm going to be using it for. Sanctification is the process whereby we submit to and live out God's unique design and purpose for our lives, bringing glory to Him in the process. Isn't that beautiful? 
So what I want to create in you tonight, or get you to understand when we see this word sanctification, is that there's, in this journey of discipleship, Jesus is going to lead us as we follow him out of certain things to set us apart from certain things that are a part of our way of thinking, a part of our culture, a part of our way of doing things so that it can lead us into his way of thinking, his way of doing things and the culture of the kingdom of heaven. When God created mankind, they were already sanctified. God's desire, you understand that. He said, yeah, I'll put you in the Garden of Eden. Genesis chapter 1, 26, I think it is. Let's look at it because it's good to... 26, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have... So now this is the setting, this is the setting apart. Here is going to be their purpose. This is what they're going to look like. And here is the purpose. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle of the earth, and over all the creeps. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then God said, bless them, and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, have dominion. So in other words, he created man, you and I, with a set purpose in mind, and set us apart, sanctified us for that purpose. Sin came in, as we know, messed up the whole thing. And so man, instead of living for why the reason, or the reason he was created, decided that he wanted to do things for himself. And sin entered in, man became utterly selfish, and messed up the whole thing. So the whole journey of sanctification, the whole reason Jesus came was to restore us back to the original plan, the original design. And sanctification is to set us apart again to that which we were originally created for. The work of sanctification in the life of a believer is a work of soul restoration. Now we're going to get into this a little bit later tonight, but I'll allude to it now, I'll explain it now, and then I'll, I'll point back to it later on. We need to understand, especially when we start talking about sanctification, that man is a three-part being. In the same way that God is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, a triune being, so you and I are created in God's likeness. You are a spirit being. You are an eternal being. You will either exist eternally with God or you will exist eternally from God, but you are an eternal being created in the likeness of God. You have a soul. Your soul is linked to your spirit. They are inseparable, but they are clearly identifiable. Your soul, what is that? That's your mind, your will, or your desires, and your emotions. And you live in a body. That's your earth suit. It gives you legal access to this planet. It enables you to breathe. In the same way that you need a space suit to, live, to, to be on the moon, if you don't, you cannot exist there. A couple of seconds, you'll be dead. Here on earth, you need this to live and to survive, this earth suit. Something goes wrong with the earth suit, you got to go. You can't hang around. Amen? So we understand the work of sanctification has to work itself out in all three areas of our lives. And this is why I say the word there, soul restoration. We, ha we have to accept by faith that the new creation that has gone on within us, our spirit man, is a finished work. Jesus has paid 
the price for our sin. He hung on the cross. He said, it is finished. It's done. The penalty for sin has been paid. Forgiveness has been given to all. The Holy Spirit tore the veil, rent the veil from the top to the bottom. He, that is a done work. However, in the area of our souls, you know your thoughts are not always in line with God's thoughts. You know your actions and behaviors do not always line up. Does that change the original truth? No. It just means that that original truth has not yet worked itself out in the rest of your, who you are, in the area of your soul. Your soul has not yet been restored or sanctified unto God. Romans 8, 21 to 22 says, Because the creation itself will also be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans with birth pangs together until now. Humor me and say, glorious liberty. That was pathetic. Let's try that again. That's why I said humor me here, because I could see you guys are a little tired tonight. Say, glorious liberty. Thank you ever so much. That is what sanctification is all about. I want you to get this tonight. You see, if sin and the lies of the enemy are the things that hold us down and keep us from the fullness of freedom that Jesus Christ came to give us, when we begin to see it that way, sanctification becomes a joyous process where I can rid myself of that to experience the fullness of Christ's life. If I do not understand the motivation of sanctification as liberty, if I do not see that as the direction that I'm going in, sanctification becomes to me legalistic ritual. And I've lost the point. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Because sanctification does have to do with changing our behavior, changing the way we think, changing our value system. Amen? But if I see that as more now laws that come upon me and things that I have to do, I will resist the work of sanctification. But if I see the heart of Jesus to bring me into the fullness of liberty that He paid for for me on the cross, I begin to embrace sanctification as a pathway to a far, far greater life than I could ever experience on my own. Amen? So let's look at number three. Christ, our sanctifier. We have already discussed the realization that as fallen beings, we could never sanctify ourselves. We could never in our own effort make ourselves holy. 1 Corinthians 1, 30-31. But of Him you are in Christ, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That is he who glories, sorry, that it is, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. What's the point here? Christ became things for us because we couldn't do it ourselves. He became for us what? Righteousness and sanctification. So now what does that mean? That means as I follow Jesus, who he is and what he has become for me begins to grow and take take shape in my heart, conforming me into his likeness. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 to 14. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation. How? Through sanctification. In other words, through setting you apart as his, as holy, as belonging to nobody else, by the Spirit and belief, 
in the truth. Now that's a key. To which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now why do I say a belief in the truth is a key? Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So if I'm following Jesus, what am I being led into? Truth. And if I'm being led into truth, what's the implication? I am being led out of that which is not true. Okay? Now what do I mean by that? Ways of thinking, worldviews, value systems that have not been created or authored by Jesus. Let me ask you a question. Now, this is going to be a controversial question, and I'm going to get you humming in your minds tonight. Who is the God of this world? Now, the Bible says that the devil is the God of this world. I'm not going to give you scriptural reference now, because I, don't, that, that, I haven't somehow memorized that particular verse. Yeah. <laughs> but the Bible tells us that Satan is the God of this world. So who's in control? Really? I thought the devil was the God of this world. And the Bible tells us about taking Jesus, you know, using the name of Jesus and, and using, doing spiritual warfare and pulling down principalities and powers. It tells us about binding a strong man. Why do you have to bind a strong man? And he's talking about the spirit of darkness, the spirit that blinds the minds. Jesus said the spirit of this age has blinded the minds of the people so that they cannot see truth. We see this theme repeated over and over and over again in Scripture, and I'm not even talking about the Old Testament. I'm talking about New Testament stuff. Somehow, that we, somehow we have replaced God's, we have interpreted God's sovereignty as God's in control. And if God is in control of everything, then everything is His fault. So let me debunk some things for you in the way you think, because so that we can be led into truth. Here's a good analogy for you. You go on a flight from Cape Town to Johannesburg International, O.R. Tumble. You get there, you find that your luggage, you fly, who, who, who fly? We we'll, we'll fly, we'll fly Kulula.com. We we'll fly from Cape Town to, to, to Johannesburg, O.R. Tumble. We get there, we find that our luggage has been tampered with. Somebody has opened it, somebody has rummaged through the stuff. Who do you go to report that to? You get to the other side. Where do you go? What do you do when that happens? You go to the Kalula.com desk and you say, I bought my ticket with you. You are responsible in the situation. You, I'm coming to you to sort out the situation because something happened to me. Did Kalula.com do that? No, some, some guy from airports company South Africa did that. Is it Kalula.com's fault? You guys look at me like, I don't know. I don't, whose fault is it? Who did it? Who did it? No, guys, one guy did it. He did it. Kaluta.com sorts out the situation. They want my business. The point is this. Who's responsible for that? Is, is God responsible for that somehow? Do we blame God? Why am I saying all of this stuff? Here's why. When we talk about sanctification, 
we need to understand that God is wanting to take us from where we are in a broken and a fallen system where so much of the things that we take for granted and the way we see the world around us has been formed and shaped not by the truth of who Jesus is, but by the world around us, by the selfish desires of men, by the evil plotting and the cunningness of the evil one. So much of the way we think, and we don't even realize it until we are confronted with truth. And that is the process of sanctification. In praying for his disciples, John 17, 17 said, Jesus, or he prayed to the Father. This is after having walked with them. For three years, he says to the, to the Lord, sanctify them by your truth. Set them, in other words, the way, Father God, to set them apart from this world. I don't want you to take them out of this world. They need to be in this world, but not of this world. Their substance no longer comes from here. Their, their purpose, their definition, their meaning, their fulfillment no longer comes from here, but it comes from you. It comes from heaven. Your word is truth. When saying this, Jesus knew he was the way, the truth, and the life. He was acknowledging his role as our sanctifier. He also revealed to us the key to sanctification, the truth, Christ Jesus himself. Although Christ is our sanctifier, our role in the process of sanctification is not passive. So in other words, the process of becoming more like Christ, the process of being set apart unto Him is not something that happens automatically. It's not something I can sit back and wait for God or somebody else to do for me. It's not a passive thing. It's an active thing. It is to cooperate with the Holy Spirit as He does a work within us. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the, in the fear of God. Now, hang on a second, Michael. You are now with that scripture contradicting everything you've just said about the fact that we cannot cleanse ourselves, that we cannot earn salvation, that we cannot you know, live lives that are worthy of God. Well, does it contradict it? Not when you begin to understand contradiction. <laughs> Not when you begin to understand sanctification. He says, having these promises. Now, what are these promises? These promises are all the things that Jesus has already done for us. He's saying, let us take those promises and begin working them out in our own lives. We have to believe them, receive them, apply them. And then we begin seeing the manifestation of them. We have to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. So Jesus has done his part. We are forgiven. We are accepted in the beloved. We are blessed. We are free from the power of sin and darkness. Yet how many people still live with depression? How many people still struggle with disease? How many people still struggle with oppression? And why? Because that which have, has been given to them has not found any kind of room to grow in their soul, in their way of thinking. They have not applied themselves to that. As we apply ourselves to read the Word, as we apply ourselves to truth, the light begins to cast out darkness. But we have to open ourselves up to it. There is a role that you and I have to play. What we do with the Word of God will determine our level of sanctification. It's clear to see that the responsibility for sanctification lies with the believer.
Any questions? All right. Let's look at the threefold work of, of sanctification. And this is what I was talking on a little bit about earlier on. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 23 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Now what does he mean completely? In other words, finish the work from start to finish, the whole thing. And he goes on to say, And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And there we have the clear identification of the three areas of our lives that sanctification needs to be worked out. This scripture mentions three areas of our lives. As I just said, first of all, the spirit man, that's the real you. The primary work that takes this the primary work that takes place where one is born again. You are sanctified, you are set apart from this world, from sin, from from all of that stuff unto God, you become His. And this is a work that Jesus has done for us that we partake in through faith. That's the salvation experience, amen? Where we get born again. We've discussed that. 2 Corinthians 5.17 alludes to it. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And again, you get to see that word, behold. That's an important word. Why? Because you know a tree by its fruit. Not by its tag. What do I mean by that? You can go to a nursery and buy a tree that says apple tree on it and you plant it and you wait your seven years or however long it takes for that thing to start bearing fruit and suddenly there's oranges. <laughs> but the tag says apples. saying there, behold. In other words, you know a tree by its fruit. A Christian, is not by, a Christian is recognized not by the fact that he goes to church, that he has a little fish on the back of his car, that he has a cross around his neck. A Christian is known by his fruit. To what degree sanctification, being set apart for Christ-likeness, has taken place in his life. The point that I'm making to you here is there's something to behold. Something changes. So that's the first area, the spirit of man. That begins to work itself out in the second area, the soul, which is the mind, will, and emotions. And this, folks, is a progressive work. There are some people who have a, a, an incredible encounter with God. Maybe that's you tonight. How many of you had a credible encounter with God and your life was changed like this? You were one of those. I know Siobhan was one of those. One, what, you? I mean, yeah, you? Those guys, these guys, these stories of guys, they're, they're addicted to drugs, they are just bad characters, they are drinking, they're drunk, they're, all this kind of stuff going on in their lives, they meet Jesus, and man, they are just poor, clean. They have no desire for drugs or cigarettes, they're set free from lust, they're set free from all this kind of stuff, and it's awesome. I love those stories. I'm not one of them. I'm not one of them. I've had to battle through things. I, the growth that I've seen has sometimes been taking two steps forward and one step back. But over, the spo over a period of many, many years, I can see that there has been a work of sanctification. I'll share a short story with you. One of, the, one of the, the most incredible things that happened to me as I look back on my life is there was a young lady, and I've shared this story from the pulpit before. You might recognize that I'm not going to go into all the details. There was a young lady who knew me when I was just out of school. 
and her and I really didn't get on. And many years later, her then husband and I reconnected because we were mates at school and he invited Helen and I around for supper. And, and I remember that night how when she opened the door and realized who this friend of his was that was coming for supper, you know, her jaw basically hit the floor and who am I about to let into my house? This guy. Anyway, the night went fine. She didn't really say that. This comes out much later. But years down the line, two, three years down the line, she says to me one day, we're just having a conversation. She says to me, Michael, what changed you? I said, what do you mean? And she says, you know, and she recounted how, how she remembered me to be and that the guy I was now was not the same person that I was back then. And, I mean, it was God that did it. It was Pastor Andreas who, took, who played a role of mentoring. And, 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 and what he helped me do was this very thing I'm talking to you about tonight, sanctification, setting myself apart from the world and all that other stuff, which I was still so active in and dabbled in. I thought I could live a Christian life on Sunday and be in the world and do my own thing. And, and he helped me sanctify myself and set myself apart from all the stuff that's holding me back from the fullness that Christ has for me. And she could see a change. And that meant something to me. Because when change is slow and gradual, you don't notice it. I mean, you see your kids growing up, but <clears throat> it's so gradual, you don't really notice it. But you see someone's kids who you haven't seen in three years, and you're like, yo, you've grown so much. It's the same thing that happened. So sometimes, it's, sometimes sanctification is a progressive work. And there's things we need to shape with our minds. There's things we need to understand differently and work our way through. And sometimes that takes time as we cooperate with God. So sanctification is progressive work that takes place as we grow in understanding and in obedience towards God and His Word and His will. Oh, sorry, as His Word and His will is revealed to us by the Holy Spirit, who in turn empowers us to live it out. 2 Corinthians 3.18 But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. Do you see that? It's a continuous work of being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So in other words, it's a continual work for, for the believer who's one day old in, old in the Lord and for the believer who's 41 days old in the Lord. The more we behold... Look, we're never going to exhaust God's glory, right? But the more we behold His glory, the more we know Him the more we become like Him. The more we know Him, the more we want to know Him. It's a beautiful process. And then finally, we look at sanctification in the physical body. This is a f the final work of sanctification, and it's the culmination of the work of sanctification, the completion of it. And this will take place where Christ comes again and we receive our glorified bodies. I look forward to that day. Those bodies that will be able to do what Jesus did when he, in his resurrected state. I love the story about Jesus. He goes to meet with the 11 disciples. We, like, they're really grappling to believe that he's actually risen again. So he appears to them one day when they're all together in a room and he has fish with them and some bread. And so he just like kind of appears there. And the next thing, he disappears through the wall. You know what I find epic? The fish goes through with him. I mean, you kind of expect them to eat the fish, disappear through the wall, and then have little bits of chewed fish and bread stuck on the wall, because surely that, you know, <laughs> it's just the way my mind works. That's pretty cool. <laughs> so <laughs> it all becomes a part of his body, and he takes it through the wall. I think that's really epic. So one day we're going to have glorified bodies. 
Uh, and 1 John 3 verse 2 talks about it. It says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. So we're going to be just like Jesus was. The quote here by Bradford A. Mullen. It says, Formerly, the transformation by faith is immediate, but does not automatically result in changed thinking or behavior. The world, the flesh, and the devil still operate in their usual insidious way, but the power of each has been rendered inoperative for those who live by faith according to their new identity. So the initial part of sanctification has to do with identity. You are now a new creation in Christ. That's who you are. You're an eagle. But you still need to learn how to fly. Because you're still jabbing at the ground, scratching, trying to catch worms when you were born and created for so much more. All right, you understand the analogy. We looked at that when we did righteousness. Shall I do the eagle cry again? No, no, we're not. All right. Point number five, setting apart from two. Now, I want to ask three people to come up and help me demonstrate this. Come on, I've got one. Any other takers? Come, Carmen. Come, Megan. Ah, you're too slow, Come. All right. Setting apart from two is a really important principle for us to understand. Because sanctification is not just being set apart from. It's being set apart from two. And it's also not just being set apart to. It's being set apart from two. So come here, please, if you would, Megan. You stand in the middle here. Arms out. I want you to let, grab her hand there. No, 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 not you. Grab her hand there. So now, Clive, what you represent. So, so Megan is a, now a born-again believer, okay? She's given her heart to Jesus. And this is her old life. Sorry, Clive. It's cool. This is her sin nature. This is, this, this is, this is, and, and listen, the, the way we often, def- yeah. Now listen to me. The way we often think about this is that exactly this. It's the bad things. It's the, it's the drinking. It's the smoking. It's, it's all those sins that we, you know, we, we, we classify as sins. But I want to say to, to, make, to, to you tonight that this is not only those things. This, is, this also represents the day, and I'm just going to use, I don't know if any of this stuff is true. So if it is, I don't think it is. Anyway, this, is, this also represents the day Megan's best friend turned on her and said, you know, you're ugly. I don't want to be your friend anymore. And that's, that's stuck in Megan's heart. And this also represents the day that her father or her teacher at school said to her, you know what, oh, gee, you, you are never going to amount to anything. You are so stupid. And this also represents the day that Megan decided about herself that, oh, you know, that kind of thing is, she's never going to be like that kind of person. That, that's never going to, it's every negative thought, it's every lie that the devil has sown about her that she's not good enough or she doesn't measure up. This represents all of that. And Carmen, of course, (laughs) represents the Holy Spirit that now wants to take her into newness of life. Okay, But if you had to take Megan's hand now and start pulling, 
you'll see that there's a little bit of a tug of war there. Okay? So there's a pull here, and the, the Holy Spirit is not forceful. <laughs> Though the world can be, it's not forceful. But here's, the, here's, here's, the diff, here's something I want, you to, I want you to open your hand like that. Now hold on to his hand there, okay? I want you to understand that the world no longer has any grip on Megan. It has no more hold on her. Why? Because she's born again. But she can still very much hold on to it. But until she lets go of the world, because the world's not going anywhere, that's not going to change, she cannot truly lay hold of and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Do you understand the analogy? Thank you, guys. You may be seated. That is the picture that I want to create of what sanctification is about, of this setting apart from and to is all about. It's about the cleansing or the purifying from sin. So 1 Corinthians 6.11, if we look at our notes. And such were some of you, talking about your old man, he said, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. In other words, this is what you were. You, all of that stuff that you believed about yourself, all of those desires to, of, for selfishness and pride and for sin, that, you, that, that is who you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. That's not who you are anymore. And so the work of sanctification sets us not only apart, but it sets us apart to God. It sets us free from all of that so that we can embrace something completely new and different, dedicated and committed completely to Him and for His use. 1 Peter 1.15 But as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. What does that mean? That means I have to let go of something to lay hold of something else. But it all, I want you to understand, remember I said to you earlier on, truth is a key? It all has to do with truth. You see, here's the thing. The reason you held, that person held on to all those lies about her is because they believed them to be the truth. I believe I am not good enough. I believe I am ugly. I believe I will not amount to anything. I believe that that is the truth. Now, it's not the truth. It's a lie. But how do you dispel a lie that you believe? How do you conquer deception? Only with the truth. Only when you see the truth as the truth and you recognize it as the truth. That's why the Bible says to some, their minds have been blinded because even though Jesus came and he presented himself and said, hint, clue, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the, that Messiah you've been waiting for, I am him. People looked at him and went, mm, we don't recognize it. They couldn't recognize the truth. So it's all about what we do, how we value truth, what we consider to be truth, and how we allow our thinking to be shaped by truth. Amen? So we're going to get into that a little bit later. If the question still stands at the end, please ask it again, okay? So we do not deny that there is temptation or weakness in the flesh but we deliberately choose to reprioritize our lives, placing the interests of God before the interests of self. So, you understand what repentance is? Repentance means I turn from one way and I face another way. It means a 180 degree turn. It means I'm heading in this direction or I believe a certain thing and I now have realized something different. So I turn away from that belief and I turn away from that way of thinking and I face another way. 
Stephen, help me. The Greek word is the, is the Greek word for repentance metanoin. Sorry, sorry, Siobhan? Metanoin, and that's the same root as that metamorphosis comes from. Metania. Okay, so I'm on the right track. I'm really pleased about that. Okay, so the, the work of repentance means a transformation, facing a different way, but it carries within it the same root Greek word as going worm to butterfly transformation that takes place from one kind of thing to another. All right. Matthew 6, 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, you've got to understand the context the scripture comes in. He's, Jesus is saying here, he says, don't worry about earthly things that the people of this world, what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, where you're going to go. The people who have nothing else to live for, who have no bigger vision, the people of this world, that's what they spend their time worrying about. But you... Set your mind on something else. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. You have to turn away from something to seek something new. Folks, listen. You cannot alter the past, but you can put the past on the altar. I want to say that again. You cannot alter your past. You cannot change which has been, but you can put your past on the altar. Your past does not have to determine your future. Your past doesn't have to be the motivation from which you live the rest of your life. You can live your life from truth from today. Unless you are willing to let go of the old life, you cannot truly embrace your new life in Christ Jesus. I'll read you, I'll read you a portion of Scripture, and then I think we'll break. And it's not in your notes, but I want to read it to you, because it's just, while we're on the subject, it, it comes alive. It's Colossians chapter 3, and I'm going to read from verse 1. And I'm going to read quite a portion. I think it's yeah, about 17 verses I'm going to read to you. And then we'll have a break because it, 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 it sums up the subject. It says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Now, how many of us were raised with Christ? Every one of us who was born again. Okay? So this includes you tonight as you sit here. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Very clear distinction there, right? What must I focus on, God? Not new sports, weather, what's going on around you, but set your mind on the things above, where, where God is. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your, our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, Put to death your members, which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Put them to death. They are dead. Reckon them to be so. Remember that lesson in right, that part of righteousness? Reckon them to be dead. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming on the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off these, all these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you've put off the old man with his deeds. Do you Just pause for a moment. Can you see what the grapple is here? He's saying, that old man is dead. Stop. Let go of him. Let him be dead. Stop drawing your significance or your responses, your reactions from an identity that no longer exists. Let go of it. And have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. 
So what does that mean? I need to renew my knowledge according to what? According to Jesus. I need to see myself through his eyes. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies. So in other words, I now have turned away from that. I've let go of it, and I now embrace something else. I put on like a garment. I clothe myself with tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another. Even as Christ forgave you, so you, must, so you also must do. But above all these things, just put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God, let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you were also called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ. Do you see that? We have to let the love of God dwell in our hearts. We have to let the word of Christ transform our minds. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching and, admoni and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in our hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the same, uh, sorry, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God our Father through Him. Do you see that? You see how that all kind of comes together? The work of sanctification is, is, is the decision that I make to say, Jesus, right, I said I'm going to follow you and make you Lord. Sanctification means that there's some stuff I now have to unlearn. There's some stuff and ways of thinking and mindsets I have that I need to be willing to let go of so that I can embrace everything that you have for me. Amen? Let's have a break. All right. Let's carry on in part two. We're going to start at... at, at Point number six, talk about our role in sanctification. Now, Megan, this is going to start answering your question uh, under this point. You know, what do I do? How do we do, how do we then, if this is such an important thing, how do I do this? How do I cooperate with God? And Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, clearly lay out for us how, or what our role is in the process of sanctification. So we're going to read, I'm going to read to you from the Amplified Bible. You have it in your notes. It says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, and beg of you in the view of all the mercies of God to make a decisive dedication in your bodies, presenting all your members and faculties as a living sacrifice, holy, devoted, consecrated, and well-pleasing to God, which is your reasonable, rational intelligent service and spiritual worship. Now that's quite a mouthful for just one verse. But really what he's trying to say is this. You present your bodies as a living sacrifice. What is a sacrifice? A sacrifice is something that which is, is, which is dead. When you sacrifice or you give something up, it means you have no longer got any control over it. It can't speak for itself anymore. But yet you're a living sacrifice. So you're alive, but you're no longer alive to the old man. You're alive to God. You're alive to Christ. So you present your body as a living sacrifice, and it says, which is your reasonable service. So in other words, what does that mean? I make a decision. I like what he says there, a deci decisive dedication of my body. Say, God, I dedicate myself to you. I live for you. I belong to you. 
Come and have your way in me. Because I know you're good. I know you're trustworthy, that you're faithful. You only have good plans for me. So it's not like it's this rough decision where, oh, I'm going to give up. No, it's like God is really good and he really loves us. But he can only work with that which we give him. So our reasonable service, our, in other words, it makes common sense that this is the reasonable thing for us to do. And then it goes on in verse 2 to say, Do not be conformed to this world or this age, fashioned after and adapted to its external, superficial customs, but be transformed, changed entirely by the renewal of your mind. So how do we do this? By renewing the way we think. By new ideals and a new attitude. And I love this part, that you may prove for yourselves what is the good and acceptable and the perfect will of God, even the thing which is good and acceptable and perfect in His sight for you. So in other words, do you remember earlier on we spoke about beholding? It says this, so that you may prove for yourself, that you may see and behold for yourself the good will of God. The acceptable will of God is perfect will for you. So as you begin to change and dedicate yourself to change the way you think, in other words, to value the things of the word, the things that are above, not the things that are beneath. I let go of those things. Do not be like them, God says, but be transformed. Transformed, metanoin, metamorphosis. Be transformed from a worm to a butterfly. Be transformed from a chicken to an eagle. Do you understand that sanctification is about transformation into something which is purely carnal and natural, into something which is wonderfully spiritual and supernatural? And its ways are above this earth's ways. God says it this way in Isaiah chapter 55, I think it is. My ways are not your thoughts, and nor are, are not your ways, and nor are my thoughts your thoughts. In fact, he says, as far as the heavens are above the earth, so far are my ways above your ways. We think we're really clever. We think we've got a lot of things figured out. And in truth, God looks down at us and goes, you silly chickens. I'm really smart. I've discovered that if I dig this way, the worm's going to come up just like this. You stupid chicken. Yeah, you're really smart at catching worms when you're designed to fly and to soar in the sky. Do you understand the difference here? That's what God is calling us up to. Now, the first thing we do, as I said, is we present our bodies to God as instruments of righteousness. What does it mean to present? It means to report for instruction. Write that down in your notes. I present myself to you. In other words, I come not with agendas, not with requests, but all I want is an order. I want instruction. God, give me truth. Or God, give me an instruction. I present my body to you to do with what you will. Let's look at Romans 6 verse 13. It says, Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. Let's just get an idea of an instrument. Okay, so over here we have an instrument. This instrument can present itself to me to be used like this. It's intended purpose. Or like this. Not its intended purpose. It's going to damage the table. It's going to damage the instrument. Do you understand? It's made for beautiful melody or for beautiful rhythm. That's just that. I mean, you get guitar, flute, whatever instrument you want to pick. The instrument in itself has the potential to make beautiful music. 
It's designed for a certain purpose. And when used for that purpose, it makes beautiful music. But when it's not used for that, have you ever heard a child with a violin? <laughs> Painful. Painful. Because they haven't mastered what that's all about yet. Have they? No, they haven't. So you do not present a violin to a child unless they're going to start learning. You understand the principle here. So do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness. So who is playing you? For lack of a better word. Do you understand? In whose hands are you? Who is, the, who is playing the notes? Whose melody are you dancing to? Whose rhythm are you walking to? But present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness. So I am an instrument to produce the melody of righteousness wherever I go. And wherever I go, that's what I'm going to play. I am going to bring love. I am going to bring joy. I'm going to bring the rightness or the likeness of God into every situation that I am. Because that is who I am. Amen? And the more I understand that, the more I embody that. The more I think that way, the more that will become my reality. Secondly, we are to continuously and deliberately renew our minds according to the will and the word of God. We've got to be delivered from stinking thinking. We've got to be brainwashed. And I mean that literally. Our brains need to be washed. <laughs> you go to church, you know, all they do there is, they're just going to brainwash you. Yes! <laughs> clean up your thinking. Now, brainwash has a negative connotation, so I'm not playing on that one. But I'm saying there's ways of doing things and ways of seeing things, ourselves, the world around us, people, that is not according to the love of God. Folks, there's a verse, I think it's in 1 John, where he says, by this we know the love of God, that we love the brethren. Something like that. In other words, we know that God's love is in us because the way I see people around me has begun to change. I'm not just angry at everyone anymore. I'm not hateful of people anymore. I'm not prejudicial against people anymore. But I can, I can, I can love them. Because something in me has begun to change. The way I'm thinking has changed. And like I said in the notes there, this has to do with our worldview, with our values, with our morals, with our self-esteem. All of this kind of stuff starts being affected when we allow the truth of God's Word to change the stuff we've been programmed to think. Hey, let's not kid ourselves, folks. We're here in South Africa, 25 years after apartheid. There's a lot of thinking that's had to change. From all sides. Amen? Amen? Now, if we look at the political spectrum in this moment in our country, man, it's like we've gone back 20 years. Would you agree with me? So when I was in America, somebody asked me, you know, what's the racial thing, what's the racial tension like right now in South Africa? I said, look, if you watch the media and you look at the politicians, they are using race as a card to, to, to and they are using hate and anger and resentment as a tool for political gain. It's never been as bad as this since before, since before uh, apartheid was overturned. I said, but the reality is when I walk down the street, it's never been better. I have dealings with all kinds of different people of all kinds of different colors in all kinds of different communities. And there's a respect there. 
I have no hatred in my heart to anyone. And when I deal with people, I don't sense hatred in their heart towards me. I go for a run down the street in the morning and I greet every person. Some of them are just miserable and they just turn their noses to me. Some of them are very friendly. <coughs> I run past white people, they're rude. I run past white people, they're friendly. I run past black people, they're rude. I run past black people, they're friendly. Color has nothing to do with it. Do you understand? Why do I make this point? I'm talking about the way we're thinking has changed. And I can behold it. I can sense it. I can feel it. I hope you can too. We've come a long way as a country and we must be grateful to God for that. Our minds are being sanctified. Amen? Now, it's a process for some, right? But there's progress being made. All right. Point number seven, sanctified for purpose. God has a clear plan in mind for each of us. Sanctification is the means whereby we set ourselves apart from all other pursuits so that we may realize His purposes in our lives. Jeremiah 1.5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I set you apart, I sanctified you, and ordained you to be a prophet to the nations. Now, He hasn't ordained every one of us to be a prophet to the nations, but you can fill in the blank. Before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you, and I set you apart. I sanctified you to be dot, dot, dot. Now, what does that look like in your life? Do you know what that is yet? Has God's, have, you, have you allowed God to set you apart to your calling and purpose yet? Ephesians 2.10, For we are God's own handiwork, His workmanship, recreated in Christ Jesus, born anew that we may do those good works which God predestined or planned beforehand for us, taking paths which he prepared ahead of time, that we should walk in them, living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. In other words, there's a clear idea in the heart and the mind of God for who you are. And the work of sanctification is the work of preparing you for that which God has prepared for you. I'll say that again. It's worth taking note of. Sanctification is about preparing you for that which God has prepared for you. He's got to set you apart from a bunch of stuff that's going to hinder you, that's going to hold you back, that's going to undermine you, and possibly even undermine your destiny. And when you've, when you've grown past that, you can be entered into a new season. Where you, Andreas once made a, a, a beautiful analogy. He says, it's like God holds you. The Bible says He holds us in the palm of His hand. But in the beginning, He covers us up and He protects us. And He works on us and He talks to us and He molds us and He makes us and He shapes us until He decides... You're ready. And then he presents us to the world. And he says, go and be who I've made you to be and who I've created you to do and do what I've created you to do. It's all part of that work of sanctification. Now, the work of sanctification doesn't end at that moment. You discover more as you journey. None of us can say we've made it. Even Paul says, look, I haven't made it yet, but I press on towards that goal, towards that prize. We each have a unique and special gift grace and calling from God and they will vary in prominence and they will vary in responsibility. But we each sanctify our calling through faithfulness. Faithfulness in sanctification is what qualifies us to be used by God. 
2 Timothy 2.21. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter. Again, what does this mean? How do we cleanse ourselves? This is talking about sanctification, not about works to earn salvation. Amen? If we cleanse ourselves from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, set apart, and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Amen? So you see the journey that God walks with, works with us and walks with us in preparing us and equipping us and releasing us. The purpose of sanctification is to produce Christ-likeness in our lives. And the product of Christ-likeness is that we glorify God. This, as we've discussed in previous lessons, is our highest calling. I love this, this quotation by Bradford Mullen. It says, The focus of justification is the removal of the guilt of sin. The focus of sanctification is the healing of the dysfunctionality of sin. Beautiful. What a great quote. It needs healing. And this is where we get to the relationship between justification and sanctification. Justification is the state in which one is declared righteous. Sanctification is simply applied justification. Make sense? So I take that and I begin to apply that to my life. Sanctification is the evidence of a genuine work of justification where that which has happened within us begins to manifest on the outside. Hebrews 12, 14. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. God will judge any person claiming identification with Christ while not actively engaging in pursuing sanctification. What does that mean? That means just because you said a prayer one day, the, the, the genuineness of that prayer you said will be proven in how you begin to live your life from that day on. Did you truly devote your heart to Jesus and are you truly following Him and allowing Him to shape your mind and your thinking and your values? Or was it just a prayer that you said in the moment? Are you like the seed that fell in the, among the rocks? You spring up quickly, but soon you just wither and die. Or is there substance? Matthew 7, 21 to 23, it's a sobering, sobering verse of Scripture, and it says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. You all right, Jude? Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name, and I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. What is the accusation? He says, I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. In other words, you who live as if there is no law. And what is the law of the kingdom? Love. See, what is the, what is the evidence of a life that is not sanctified? It's about self. And so I've done these things in your name. Haven't we done these things and made our names great for your sake? Your sake. But Stephen hit the nail on the head there. True sanctification is when I begin to be like Jesus. Jesus wasn't about the power. He was about love. You're sure, the power follows love. But you can manifest power without love, and it's destructive. The sanctified life is the evidence of a genuine and intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. The point here is that an unwillingness on our part to change, to let go of, and to follow Jesus makes us opponents of God. 
not followers of God. James 4, 4 says, Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So it's saying, believer, you have come out of something. Don't be like a dog, as the proverb says, a dog that returns to its vomit. Let that go. Let go of that old life. Why do we need to be instructed to that? I'll tell you why. There's a, few, a couple of reasons. Number one, this is what is familiar. This is what I identify with. That's why it's hard. Also because sometimes so much of what I hold on to, the reason I hold on to it is because it's pleasurable. Amen? But just because something is pleasurable doesn't mean it's holy or righteous. Sin is pleasurable, otherwise it wouldn't be tempting. Who enjoys, the, who doesn't enjoy their sin? Come on, right? The reason we sin is because it brings us instant gratification and pleasure. And what I'm saying when I let go of my sin is it's not about my instant gratification, it's not about my pleasure. I'm orientating my life to follow Jesus and about glorifying Him. And that now becomes the thing which gives me purpose and meaning and pleasure. And the more I get of Him, the more I'm filled with true joy that's not subject to the world and true peace that's not subject to what's going on around me and true pleasure. And, and it's, it's a completely different realm. So the point that I'm making here in terms, of, in terms of this thing is that our desire to want to hold on to the Word, our, our reluctance to want to change, to bend the knee, undermines the work of sanctification in our lives. And point number nine, it's our final point for tonight. The sanctified life is a victorious life. And this is what Christ's wanting to bring us into, the fullness of His victory. Romans 8.37, Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Sanctification is the process whereby the believer applies the implications of their justification. They begin to live from a position of righteous consciousness, partake in the blessings and promises of God as laid out in Scripture, experience the liberty and freedom that come with having a new nature that is not subject to sin and death. They walk by faith and experience the power of the Holy Spirit daily. They live supernatural lives naturally, and they think and behave like Christ. It means that all that stuff that I'm so subject to that holds me back and limits me, I begin to, do to dominate. I begin to have victory over them. So I am no longer under the circumstances. I am the determiner of the circumstances. You know the expression, c'est la vie, that's life. Life happens. I become somebody to, that... To, What's the right way of saying this? I was somebody to which life happened. I'm now somebody that happens to life. I become the determiner. I become the changer of circumstances. I become a force to be reckoned with. I become the changer of atmospheres as soon as I walk into them because I have a realization and a tangible realization of the presence of God that abides within me that I am more than a conqueror, that I am not subject to sin or death 
but the very life of God lives within me. I am blessed. I am prosperous. I am victorious. I am healed. I am whole. And I begin to take on a, 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 an air, not of arrogance, but of authority, expressed in love. The level to which we allow Christ to be formed in our lives will determine the measure of victory, blessing, and breakthrough that we experience. Victory, blessing, and breakthrough have been given to us in their completion. Amen? Do you believe that? But the degree to which we experience them in our lives is determined by how we allow Christ to be formed in our lives. So tonight I want to say to you, make a conscious decision in your heart that you will allow God to complete this work of sanctification in your life, regardless of the cost or inconvenience, being confident of this very thing, that He who has begun a good work in you will be faithful to complete it if you allow Him to. And so I have on my heart tonight to say to you, maybe there were some of you that really identified with the example we had up here. And that there's still stuff in your past that comes back at you again and again and again. There's still stuff that you've done or things that have happened to you that have shaped how you think and how you see yourself and how you identify yourself. And that although you know they are not true according to what God says about you, letting go has been a hard thing for you to do because you still identify yourself so much with those things. Tonight, if that bears, if that has stuck in your heart, I want to pray with you. And we want to pray with you. We want to break things off people so that you can come and we can enter into the fullness and the liberty and the grace that Jesus has called us to. Now, you may not know the fullness of that picture just yet. That's okay. We all have so much of it captured over here. Do you remember when we went to righteousness? We had that appendix of all the things that God says about you. Go there in your notes with me. I'll tell you now what page it is. Page 22. God's view of me, who I am in Christ. Now, as we've read Romans 12, verse 2, I need to renew my mind. I need to be able, in order to let go of this. Well, let me give you an example. Okay, just before we go there. Practical example. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. Everybody, close your eyes. Be very quiet. I want you to imagine a little coffee table in a restaurant. You can hear Michael Buble playing over the, the tannoy or the soft speakers. You can smell the coffee, and it smells really good. And a waitress walks up to your table, and she puts down in front of you your cappuccino, and next to it, the biggest slice of chocolate cake you have ever seen. It is moist. It smells amazing. You put your fork, you pick up your fork, and you take a scoop from the top where the thick icing is. You get it on your fork. You bring it towards your mouth. And now stop thinking about that. How'd that go? Okay, let me rather ask you this. How did that taste? Well, I didn't even let you get there. How evil and cruel is that? The point I'm making is this. If I had to just say to you, stop thinking like that, you're going to be like, 
how do you just suddenly stop a thought, especially when you're engrossed in it and you're smelling it and it's, like, oh, it's so good. How do you suddenly stop a thought? You can't. Maybe what I should have done in that example in hindsight now is I should have said something like, and suddenly a worm pops out. Or, you know, <laughs> change the whole picture really, really quickly or something and replace it with, replace it with another thought. The point is this. In order for you to change the way you think, you have to replace your old way of thinking with a new way of thinking. And in the beginning, there's a battle that goes on. Now, Joyce Meyer wrote a, a book about this called The Battlefield of the Mind. It's a really, really good book, and it talks about that battle. It talks about, you know, Jesus says, uh, sorry, the Apostle Paul writes, and he talks about principalities and powers that we need to bind and bring into the obedience of Christ. And what is he, ta what is he talking about? He's not talking about demonic forces and legions of demons. He's talking about mindsets, ways of thinking that have so gripped who we are that in order to bring them down, it's like a war. We have to take them captive by the name of Jesus and bring them into subjection to Him. But how do we do that? We have to begin replacing the lie with the truth. We have to begin replacing the old thought with the new thought. So, like for example, I said to you in your notes, page 22, I am God's child. You know, has that set in for you? I am a new creature. I am forgiven. I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. And again, like I said to you that night, I don't know how many of you have actually gone and sat with these. Maybe you should take one a day, just one every single day. Keep your book with you in your quiet time closet and just one a day. There's always scriptures there to back it up. And go to that scripture and read it from your own Bible and highlight it if necessary. And these are, this is who I am. Because I need to change the way I see myself. So like I said to you, I wanted to pray tonight for those of you who, who perhaps are feeling that there's stuff in your past that still has a hold on your today and is going to therefore be determining your future. We want to break that stuff off you tonight. I don't want anybody to leave here tonight feeling like the, the past or the lies of the past still have a hold on their future. But we want to move into the fullness of who Jesus has for us to be. We want to be set free from that which holds us back from going where our heart's really wanting to go in following Jesus. Folks, I didn't create this course just to teach people and give them head knowledge. My heart is to see people set free from the old life and enter into the wonder and the fullness of a life of discipleship, of following Jesus, of experientially knowing His love and His grace his mercy, his forgiveness, his presence, and his power as we go through everyday life. That's what this is about. That my journey with God is not an experience that goes from Sunday to Wednesday to Sunday, or morning to morning, but all day, every day. Where I'm not subject to everything that goes on around me. But in the midst of wherever I am, by the grace and the presence of Jesus, I live a life of victory over the circumstances and over the problems and stuff that come at me. Folks, we live in a fallen world. There's always going to be problems. There's always going to be stuff coming at us. There's always going to be things to worry about. But I'm not going to live my life dominated by those things. I'm going to live my life with my heart secure and in Jesus. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.